Hallelujah. Bless you, God. I don't want you guys to go too far because I'm going to bring you back a little earlier than first service. So what's been stirring in my spirit this morning is after he finds them, after he tears down those lies, after he breaks down those walls, what happens next? What happens next when he has found them? We're going to go there a little bit today. And I have a question that I want to pose to you this morning. And here's, there, there are two questions I want us to walk away uh, from service today with. And the first question is this, what is your story? What is your story. Everyone in here has a story. And some of you in this room, you may not be believers. You got a story. And those of you that are believers in this room, you got a story. What is your story? And second part of that question is this. What is your story and how does your story influence how you interact, respond to and treat the people in your family? Now, I don't necessarily, I, 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 I'm sorry, I mean every context of family. I mean blood family, extended family, but in today's context specifically, I mean church family. And I'm using the word family specifically this morning, and we'll go there a little bit later. But the two questions for today is, what is your story? When's the last time you thought about your story? When's the last time you told your story? Because you got one. Especially if you're a believer in this room, there has definitely been a moment where something happened in your life. That was a part of your story. And how does your story influence how you interact with people, how you, how you, how you respond to, to a variety of situations and how you treat one another? This, uh, this last uh, week has been an extraordinary week uh, for me. I'll tell you, <clears throat> Uh, many of you guys know that my wife and I, we, uh, we run a school up the road. And, uh, and, you know, with that, the month of May, there comes a lot of things that pack out the calendar because we've got academic events. We just graduated uh, seniors on Friday night. We've got some other academic things this coming week. Uh, we're looking to hire in the next school year. So we're doing interviews and those types of things. We got a massive show that we put together uh, at the, at the mid month mark. And uh, you're just gearing for winding down the school year. But, I, you know, I don't leave a lot of room in my calendar for extraordinary things to happen during this season. I've got everything on a timeline. I've got everything scheduled and I don't have time for extraordinary things to happen. Well, this week, God had a little bit of humor with me. And uh, there were some, certainly some things that started back at prom, actually, which was two Thursdays ago. Uh, I go back into my car the next day. I, I wake up and I want to do some work on my laptop. And uh, I've, 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 I've misplaced my laptop. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I have learned that I rely on technology way too much. Because when I didn't have my laptop, man, it seemed like everything I was doing had to point back to something that I had saved on that hard drive. Now, I know that there is this mysterious cloud in the air somewhere that's got all my information in it. And I need some of you tech people to partner with me and help me pull some of that down because I don't know how to get to that, to that information. But I, I need my laptop because it's kind of got a lot of information that helps make things not so tough, not so hard. I sit down to do our personal bills and I'm bouncing checks because I don't know what's going on in my bank account because I have my laptop. Okay. So all of these things as I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, I, I don't have my laptop. Where's my laptop? And it's interesting whenever you get into a situation like that and you don't have the Lord with you in those moments, your mind goes to places that you typically wouldn't go. Because at first I was praying, Lord, help me find the laptop. Then I was looking in all the usual areas. Then I started looking into the unusual areas. And then my mind started saying, maybe somebody stole it. Maybe somebody took my laptop, right? 
And so my mind just started to go into different areas. Soon after that, I got a call. We're opening a center out in Murfreesboro. And, uh, you know, we're all scheduled to open mid-month and whatnot. The Department of Education calls and says, you're not registered with us, so it's going to be a long delay in your opening. Well, if I had my laptop, I could pull the application and I could submit that, make sure all of that's good, but I don't have my laptop, and then we're not going to open on time. I get a call on Tuesday night. Sherry says, hey, Nora's got 101.6 temperature. And so I'm going to take her into Murfreesboro uh, after hours clinic. And so she goes up there or whatnot. And I say, okay, well, I'm meeting with somebody from the school. Let me know what's going on if I need to uh, cancel this and, and run up there. And she calls me and she says, hey, they're telling us we need to take her to Vanderbilt. I say, oh, gosh, okay. So she starts rushing her Vanderbilt. I go home because I need to grab some things, you know. And uh, I get to my, at my house, and I'm getting all the things, and I go outside, and the Lord starts to minister to me, and he reminds me. He said, now, a few weeks ago, you talked to everybody at the church about how the word in your spirit, and it has been a word in my spirit, has been access, how we have access to the Father. And he brought me to the scripture that I shared with you guys, which was Philippians 4, that says, do not be anxious or worry about anything, and in all things... Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what he's going to do is he's going to what? He's going to give you a peace that passes understanding that's going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And he brought me to that scripture and he said, listen, Kevin, you can't preach something that you're not ready to walk. And so I started, I said, yes, Lord, you're absolutely right. And Lord, I need your perfect peace here because of all of these situations. And so I started to make a habit as I was interacting with folks this week and people would say, hey, have you found your laptop or how's Nora or about that DOE situation? I had to expel a girl uh, the other night right before her graduation. Lots of things going on this week and they're asked about the situation. I say, listen, Philippians 4 says, don't worry about anything. He's going, to give me a, he's going to give me a peace. Well, that night when I'm going, I'm getting my bags and I'm about to go see Nora in the hospital. And I tell you what, the O'Day family keeps Vanderbilt in business, let me tell you. And so we, um, you know, we, we go there and I, I, I'm at my car and I just look up and it was a beautiful, clear night. And I look up and I look at the stars and the Lord is ministering to me. And I've, I'm thinking of Philippians 4 and I'm like, Lord, I, I want to hold on to your perfect peace in this moment. But this is a lot. This is a lot to bear. I'm about to go see another baby in Vanderbilt. And he says, Kevin, I got you. And I put my bag in my car and my, we, we've got a van where the car seat goes down into the floorboard. So it's easy for the kids to climb into the van. And, and the floorboard was kind of pointed up like this. And I put my bag into the car and I go to, I put my hand on the thing right after I had prayed that prayer to the Lord. And I push it down and the Holy Spirit said, get your laptop under that thing. And I pulled it up and there's my laptop and I pulled it out. And the Lord said, the Lord said, I've got you in this. I've got you in this. We go to the hospital. It's supposed to be an overnight thing. We send the labs off and all these things. And I'm going to tell you something. Those of you who are parents in this room, I'm talking about a seven-week-old. When they're putting those needles in here, I'm telling you the type of emotion. There's one thing about having a busy schedule. There's another thing when you have to have the emotional part to go through it. That's a whole nother level of depth. And so you're walking through this, and I'm watching my kid go through this, and I'm just thinking, and I'm reminded of all of these things with Hadassah and especially Ruby and what she went through and all of this. And it's all coming back to me. I'm in that moment. I'm saying, Lord, you're telling me not to worry about this. You're telling me to, t- to trust in your peace. And so I'm going to do, I'm going to stand on that. So 2 a.m. they send us home. The panels came back negative and all of the things started to work out. They were supposed to do a spinal tap to check for meningitis. We're not doing that because she's been fever free for four days now, had a full night of sleep last night. God is so faithful. God is so faithful. 
And if you allow him to be an active part of your life and you have active dialogue, if your communication portal is clear with him, then he will meet you in every circumstance and everything that you do. And I'll tell you something this week, those stories that I just told help compose or comprise my story. This is a part of my story. What is your story? What is your story? Because the things that happened over this week and how the Lord ministered to me directly influence how I react to you. They directly, they directly correlate with how I treat the people that I'm surrounded with. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This happened to be a week where I really tuned in and I listened to the Lord, but it's not always been that way. If you spend five minutes with my wife, she'll tell you exactly how perfect I am. There's many times when I miss it. There's many times when I'm not listening to the Lord. And I'm so thankful this week that I can stand on a testimony that he met me where I was and he gave me a perfect supernatural peace. And he will do that for you. What is your story? What is your story? And how does it, how does it influence the way that we interact with one another? So this is a part of the season. And so I'm walking through this. And, and one of the reasons I shared that story is because there is a tendency, there is a tendency as we walk um, in the Lord to come into a place like this and we hear a parable of like the lost son or we hear the parable of, of the story of the lost sheep and we tend to see those titles and then we disconnect and disengage from the story altogether because we say, I'm not the lost son right now. I'm not the lost sheep right now. I'm in the 99. So what's the point? There's nothing really here for me to receive, but I'm here to tell you that I am one. And this week I had to walk through some things and there have been points in my life, there have been points in my life where I missed it, where I had to be found again and be brought back into the fold. And I want to encourage you this morning as I speak this morning, I'm asking the Lord to to, to speak to our hearts that we don't disengage from this moment because there is something valuable for us to receive from every bit of what God has to say. And I want us to connect on a real level because you're a part of this story. You have a significant part of this story. So will you stand this morning? We're going to read together from the book of Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Father, I thank you for today. Let your spirit reside here in our hearts, God, and speak to us and change our lives for eternity. Let every word that comes from my mouth that's not meant to be remembered be forgotten, Lord. But everything that you have for us today, let it change our lives. Let us activate what you're doing in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody ever been around somebody who is negative? Anybody? We tend to not want to gravitate around to people who call out the worst in us. We tend to not want to be around the the naysayers, the people who look at a situation and can tell you every flaw, everything that's wrong with this, 
and, uh, and paint with broad strokes a picture and not see anything that's uh, at all positive or uh, anything life-giving. We tend not to want to associate or be around those types of individuals. And I want to tell you this morning, if you are one of those vis- uh, individuals, we don't want to be around you very much, okay? We, 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 don't, we don't like to hear what we've done wrong 24 hours a day because a lot of us know what we've done wrong. A lot of us see ourselves in the mirror and we don't need to be reminded every time we see you what we've done wrong. But I've got, a, I've got an acquaintance in my life and, and, you know, he is a good guy. And let me tell you, if this, if this one thing could change in his life, I think the Lord would just, just, just use him. But man, in every situation, when he gets around people, he's got such leadership qualities. If he, would, if he would just look at a situation and breathe life into it, people would just flock to him and just grow. But no, in every situation, he's looking at every negative thing. And man, just spreading that out and just continuing to stir the pot in that way. And really, it comes from, I mean, he's, and, and yes, in a lot of ways, he's speaking the, 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 the truth. But that truth is only one-sided. There's, it's only half of it. There's a half part that we want to major on because nobody wants to be called out. How about if I stood up here for the next half hour and just called out all your flaws? And I'm going to tell you right now, I've got many, 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 many more than some of you in this room. But sometimes that's what we do to each other. We are waist deep in this world of negativity and words that bring, apart, bring about death and destruction. So who is supposed to be the group of people that are speaking life? Who's supposed to be the group of people that are supposed to be speaking words of affirmation and life and joy and and peace into people's lives? I think I'm looking at some of them. Because the world has no onus. They have no conviction to speak life at all. They are out there speaking death. But boy, if we have the power and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we do have a responsibility to be speaking life. The scripture says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so at the very top of this story today, uh, there, there is a line that I think could preach for a whole Sunday by itself. And it says this. It says, the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. The sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, at some level, at some point in my life, especially in my past, whenever I was brought up into a fire and brimstone type teaching where, let me tell you something, you better, you better get your salvation right to get out of hell, right? Okay. When I was brought up in a teaching, it painted a picture of Jesus that, let me tell you something, in my sin, I don't want to be anywhere near Jesus. So something is interesting here about this because right after it says the Pharisees said, the teachers of the law said, man, this man gathers with sinners and eats with them. Listen, a Pharisee is just simply somebody who says, I am self-righteous. I follow all the rules. I got it all together. And I'm real quick to let you know what you've got going on wrong as well. The teachers of the law that day were going around and saying, this is what's said in the scriptures. The Pharisees would follow those, follow those laws. So it stands to reason on some level that we would look at Jesus and we would look at the teachers of the law. And wouldn't you think that they would be saying the same message? But something's different here because the sinners and the tax collectors, they weren't gathering around the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're gathering around to hear Jesus. Could it be that Jesus was presenting something different? than the teachers of the law? Could it be that Jesus, now I want you to go with me here, could it be that Jesus is okay with going to have a cup of Starbucks with a sinner? 
Could it be that Jesus can see past the filth, the grime, the sin, the whatever, the past, enough to love and see just a glimmer of value and hope and worthiness of the person that he's interacting with, that they might be attracted to his character. They might be attracted to his aura, that they want to step up despite who they are and who they think they are and hear what he has to say. Are we not supposed to be that same way? Are we not supposed to carry the very essence, the character of Jesus Christ? How, what's your story and how's your story influence how you treat others? And so Jesus is here and the sinners are gathering around and they're listening to him. And those Pharisees, and those teachers all say, out of jealousy, insecurity, self-righteousness, man, how's he get to have all the people gathered around him? And he eats with them too. So Jesus looks over and he says, listen, suppose a man has, suppose a man has a hundred sheep. I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't, I don't own any sheep. I don't desire to own any sheep. Uh, you know, an adjective to use to describe sheep is the word dumb, because they are. Uh, I have been around sheep before. I was in Ireland once, and we were trying to get uh, across the road, and the sheep would not move. They stand there and look at you. Uh, uh, sheep are, are and, and I think it is a perfect animal to describe some of us at times. But I don't own any sheep, but I do own dogs. So I'm going to let Max come out here. <clears throat> this is Max. Hey, Max. Hey. Everybody say hi. This is Max. And uh, Max is cute. He's my dog. You can't have him. I love this dog. And let me tell you something. Part of my love Brings me to the point of going down to Walmart and Kroger, buying a bag of food, making sure he is fed. I make sure that he is safe. I make sure he has a bed to sleep in each night. We bathe him so he smells good. We comb out his matted hair. I pick up his choices around the house. <laughs> I care for this puppy because I love this puppy. So when this puppy jets out my front door and runs in front of a car coming at him at 30 miles an hour, you better bet I'm running after him, calling after his name. Now, I'll tell you what. I don't think Max understands at all that I love him. I don't, I don't think he, he understands why I do what, it, he, what I do for him. He comes back to me because he knows that's where dinner's coming from. He comes back to me because he knows that's where the shelter is going to be, okay? So, so when it comes to Max, you know, our relationship is a little bit different. I love this puppy and I would do anything for him, but he makes some of the most dumb choices. <laughs> but I still love him. So suppose I had a hundred dogs. And I lost just one of them. Suppose I had underdogs and I, and I lost one of them. Would I not leave the 99 to go after one because the one is Max? I care about Max. Max has a name. Right? So suppose I leave the 99, I go after the one. Does the owner not put the sheep on his shoulders and joyfully return with the sheep. What do I say? Bye, Max. Bye. Now, as much as I love Max, 
Max is a dog. What if it was my daughter? What if it was my daughter? When Lucy was three years old, when Lucy was three years old, there was a night, I make a practice around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Every night I have a habit. I've got to go upstairs. I kiss my girls on the forehead. They're, they should be well asleep, but I just, I just go in and I check on them. And this particular night when she's three years old, I go into her room and Lucy's not in her bed. And of course, my immediate reaction is, uh-oh, she's probably in the playroom playing with the toys or something where she shouldn't be. And so I go into the playroom. She's not there. And I go into the bathroom. She's not there. I go into the, the other room and, and she's not there. And so I start to think, wait a second, she's not here. So I start to turn on the lights. Start to turn on lights, look around, I can see things better. I don't know, maybe she's in a closet somewhere. So I go in the closet, she's not there. So now I'm at the point where I'm starting to say, Lucy, Lucy, Lucy. There's no answer. Now Lucy likes to go out the back door. And it's 10 o'clock at night. And so you can imagine as a dad, all of a sudden I'm thinking, what's going on here? So I run downstairs and I go to Sherry and I say, hey, Sherry, Lucy, I can't find Lucy anywhere. And of course, Sherry's first thought is, oh, she's in the playroom playing her toys. And I have to say, no, turn on the lights, call her name. She's not here. I go out of the bedroom. Sherry's getting out of bed to try to figure out if she can come find her. And so I go out the front door and I'm thinking, Lord, she can't, please don't let her be outside of this house. And so I go back in because I'm going to go get my shoes on and I turn and as I come in, I hear something from the front guest bathroom. So I turn in there and I go into the guest bathroom, I turn on the light, I don't see anything. And I pause for just a second and I bend down and I open the cabinet door and there's Lucy with a handful of chocolate just all over her face. (laughs) Now I want you to know something, okay? When I found Lucy, when I found Lucy, it didn't matter why she did what she did, what she was doing or how she got there. At that moment, the most important thing in my life is that I found her. Is that I found her. And I pulled her out of my arms and I squeezed her because everything in my mind was making up every horrible situation that could have happened. I didn't care about the chocolate on her face. I didn't care that she wasn't where she was supposed to be. I found her. Are you with me? He's after you. And he's after those people that you prayed for earlier today too. He's after those people that you prayed for. And so today, some of you in this room, one of you, two of you, a couple of you, maybe you relate to being the sheep, the lost sheep. Maybe you're out there and you feel lost and you feel alone. And I want to tell you something, you're not alone today. He's this good shepherd is after you. This is what Jesus says. He says, listen, I tell you that in the same way, continuing the story, this, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There's a time for rejoicing. And the time could be today. If you're lost. If you're lost and you're alone. But I really want to talk to you today about the 99. I want to talk to you today about the 99 because a majority of us can relate to being the 99. 
What happens when the one is brought back into the fold? What happens when the one is brought back into the fold? Because let me tell you something. Some of us have forgotten that at one point or the other, I was one. Some of us have forgotten the roads that we traveled in that in that miraculous moment that Jesus found us and threw us on his shoulders and brought us back into a family that opened their arms and received us. And yet when other people come and they stink and they don't look like us and they've been down roads and you disagreed with where they are in their position and they don't have it all together, we look at them like those Pharisees and we say, you don't belong here. Pastor Ronnie's vision for Springhouse is simply this, to have a healthy family. To have a healthy family. And guys, I want to have a healthy family. Worship team, you can make your way back out here. I want to have a healthy family. Because I believe that the one lost sheep from the 99, there's a lot of them out in this community. And I believe that the Lord, the shepherd comes and picks them up and he wants to bring them somewhere that they're going to be embraced, that they're going to be loved and the very character of his nature is going to be on display for them to see. But a lot of that has to do with how your story influences your actions. How we treat one another is on display everywhere we go. And it's so important. And guys, I can't tell you how important a healthy family is to be a part of. It is what attracted me to Jesus. It's what attracted me to Jesus. So how does your story influence the way you treat one another? What does it look like? Because at the top of that story, did Jesus not say that does an owner not own a hundred and then one goes away? That tells me that this one belonged at one time to the flock. Do we have people that are being lost out of our house because we're not wearing the character of Jesus Christ? And I'm going to tell you something. A healthy family helps me grieve with Paula Parker when she's praying on her knees for her son. Because I'm in relationship here and I know what's going on. And I know that Jesus Christ is after him. And I get to, re- uh, I get to rejoice with Lori and what she's been. We can celebrate as a family because of what Lori, her story, and what the Lord has done in Lori's life. And for Genesis, who has walked many months feeling like she is isolated and alone and that people don't care about her and she's about to birth a baby, do we not love Genesis Fierce in this house today? This is what family is about for Wade Hutchinson, who was healed from cancer. I mean, these are are the stories of this house for Wayne Berry, who gave his life and dedication to worship in this church, in this house for 15 years and now is changing lives around the globe. Have you forgotten about him? Let me tell you, people, listen, you have not been forgotten. You are not alone in this house. To be a healthy family, we are made up of stories. 
And these stories should influence how we treat one another and how we open the doors to the community. Because here's the thing, guys. I believe that there is a flood that's about to come in this church. I believe that there is a flood of people that are about to walk in here. And guess what, guys? They're not going to look like you. They're not going to smell like you. They're not going to talk like you. And they're going to come in with a bunch of baggage. And Lord, tell me, Lord, please protect us from being a people that says we are too self-righteous to accept you or to, because I don't want them to no longer be the one. They need to come into the 99. They need to come back into the fold and that we need to wear the character of Christ. What is your story today? And how does it influence what you're doing and how you're treating each other? Has there been somebody that's not been in the house for 10, 11, 12 weeks that we've not reached out to? Has there been anybody here? What's going on in each other's life? Are we so quick and so busy to get in and out, in and out, in and out that we're not building relationships with one another? Family holds each other together. Family holds our, each other's arms up. And here's the constant. Here is the, here is the main thing at the very bottom and the crux, the foundation of our family is that every one of us should be able to raise our hand and say, I am one. I am one. And the, the, the crux of my story is that I was lost and he found me. And guess what? He found you and he found you and he found you. And I'm so thankful that I get to link arms with my brothers and sisters and walk forward in, 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 this, in, this, in this excellent, wonderful, incredible fold together as we worship this Savior. What's your story, guys? What's your story? Because I don't want to see any more lost I don't want to see any more people have to go through brokenness because they're the ones who had to walk away because there's unforgiveness, there was bitterness, there was anger. He said this, she said that. Are we wearing the character of Christ? Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know the Lord, today is the day to come back into the fold. And if you're here today and you have thought feelings of, man, I feel like nobody here cares about me. I want to let you know that's a lie from the enemy. It's just that we're all broken. We don't know how to express it very well. So when you interact and you, and you embrace this Jesus, if you could just give a little bit of the grace that you were measured and allow us an opportunity to open our hearts and love on you, then I believe that he'll change your life. And you don't have to walk around feeling abandoned and alone anymore. This is a place of refuge. This is a place of strength. This is a place where the Lord resides. Would you all stand with me this morning? As I read from John 10, this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's the thing. He says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So here are the questions today. What is your story? And how does your story influence how you interact, respond to, and treat each other? Guys, this is the 99 right here. Let's start embracing the one, the one, the one, the one, the one who's needing to come into this house, into this flock. So what happens next? with those who are going to minister the elements and how appropriate for us to take communion today as we ponder our story. Because guys, what brings power to our story is this moment where Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we can have a relationship with the Father. And so as you come today, I want you to ponder your story. I want you to remember the redemptive power 
of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then behind them, if those who are going to pray would come forward. And this is what I would like to see in the altars today. If you are believing salvation, if you believe someone is lost, and I would like you to agree with the brother or sister on behalf of that person today. But also, in addition to that, more meaningful and more powerful than anything today would be if there's reconciliation that needs to happen in this house, let's make it happen today. Let's not let the enemy have any more foothold. If there's something that needs to change today, if there's a heart change, if you need, if you need the strength, if you're so angry, if you're so upset, if you're so, come and get dealt with today so that you can walk free from those chains today. God wants to do a work in the house today. Will you let him? Will you let him? Come on, let's take communion together and let's worship together.